0: Welcome to the Crossing Church Podcast. This week, our lead pastor, Greg Dumas, continues our Show Some Love series with a message titled, Becoming One. We hope you enjoy this weekend's message. Amen. Let's say hi to our campuses, give them a big hand. What's up, South Shore, Plant City? What is happening? Amen, amen, amen. Father, thank you for today. We pray that when we leave, we'll have uh, heard from you in a different way, change how we feel, change what we think, Move us in the grace of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name and all God's people said. Amen Amen and amen. Delighted you're here. We're in a brand new series called uh, Show the Love. Show the Love, it's uh, it's, the season this time of year. And today we're talking about becoming one. And the anchor for our discussion today, the message is in marriage, but we feel like the concepts and the principles are applicable, whatever your status might be right now. And so um, God is gracious in that way. We just hosted the XO conference, the marriage conference. It was awesome. Come on, give it up. Let's give it up. The conference was amazing. We do it every year. Uh, A lot of great stories of life change and the Lord doing what he is doing. Just amazing stuff. Uh, you know, Valentine's day is Monday. Okay. So if you're single, it's time to mingle. All right. All right. And, and, uh, and, uh, so I talked to a single lady last year. She said, I think, uh, um, Valentine's day is single awareness day. I said, I said, nah, you just got to roll with it. You know what I mean? Keep, just, just, just roll. I saw the status update. I thought it was pretty funny. Uh, I just saved a bunch of money on Valentine's day by switching to single. That's right. I'm available that was awesome. So if you're single time to mingle, if you're married, it's just a friendly reminder. I used to think, you know, years ago, I used to think that it was just the thought that counts, but now going into 29 years of being married to my bride, Tamara, 29 years. It's not just, yeah, 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 yeah. That's good. It's not just the thought that counts. It's the forethought that counts. It is a forethought. So uh, just, just to run with that a little bit, a couple of, a couple of humorous things. A husband read an article to his wife about how women have 30,000 words a day. This is actually real. This is true stuff. And a man has 15,000 words a day. The wife replied, that's because we have to repeat everything to men. <laughs> the husband turned to his wife and said, what? a man approached a very beautiful woman in a large supermarket and asked, excuse me, I seem to have lost my wife somewhere here in the supermarket. Can you talk to me for a couple of minutes? The lady replied, why? The man said, well, every time I talk to a beautiful woman, my wife just appears out of nowhere. (laughs) All right, I'm going to go on before I get myself in trouble. Okay, so... How many, of you, how many of you have been married uh, more than 40 years? More than 40 years, we just slip your hands up. Okay, more than, yeah, 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 that's fantastic. That's great. All right, uh, let's jump up to 50. How many, 50 years, 50 years? That's fantastic. Any higher? Any higher than that, 51, 52, 53, 54 still going, 55, 56, 57, 57 years married, 58? I see a South Shore plant city, 58, 59, 61 years. Come on. Give it up. (laughs) Good job. You guys look so young too. It's amazing. My goodness. Come talk to me after you can pray a blessing over me and say, Jesus, make him younger, make him younger couple of things when we talk about uh, this relationship and oneness. Number one is marriage is sacred. It's God's idea. It's from God. It, it comes from him and his heart. There's a, there's a sort of human institution, but there's also a spiritual union that takes place. And God's idea for marriage is symbolized in Adam and Eve. And, and it feels weird to say this, but we really kind of need to say this in our culture. God's ideal for marriage is one man and one woman. Can I get an amen? But this is that's God's ideal. That's his ideal. And that's his principle, lifelong in relationship together uh, for a lifetime. Genesis 2, 18 through 25. Here's what the scripture says. Then the Lord God said, it is not good for man to be alone. I'll make a helper for him who is his complement. So Lord God formed out of the ground, every wild animal and, the bir- and every bird of the sky and brought each to the man to see what he would call it. And whatever the man called the living creature, that was his his name or its name. The man gave names to all the livestock, the birds of the sky, and to every wild animal. But for the man, no helper was found of his complement, his equal. So Lord God caused a deep sleep to come over the man and he slept. God took one of his ribs and he closed the flesh at that place. Then the Lord God made the rib he had taken from the man into a woman and he brought her to the man. And the man said, this one at last is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. And this one will be called. And I think he paused. When God brought Eve to Adam, he said, whoa, man. And, and, and that's where you get the term woman. Some of you just got that. You just, whoo, man. Okay. <laughs> This is why a man leaves his father and mother and bonds with his wife and they become one flesh. And the scripture ends and says, they were both naked and they were unashamed. So a couple of foundational things about marriage that I think are important today, especially in our culture. Number one, God created marriage as a loyal partner partnership, a lifelong partnership between a man and a woman. This, this lends itself to the term fidelity, okay? To have fidelity to one another. And fidelity means that a copy matches the original. All right? And so what God is doing is God is reflecting, he's, he's mirroring himself and his love for us in the marital relationship. So God loves, how many of you know God loves us? Yes. Right? He loves us and he shows us that he loves us by his word. Can I get an amen? amen. And by deed. And deed is seen throughout his investment in the Old Testament and then ultimately in the coming of Jesus, where Jesus hung on a cross, he bled and died to demonstrate that he loved us, okay? So word is the first portion, deed is the consummation, it's the consummation of his love, all right? It's the proof that he loves us. So when we get married, we commit love to one another under a covenant relationship and we say... I will be with you for the rest of my life. We say all the other things that comes in the covenant of the word and then there's consummation physically, emotionally and spiritually for the rest of our lives together and that mirrors the relationship. Can I get an amen? Amen. Okay, you you guys understand what I'm saying? All right, it's, 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 it really is God loving us and us loving them as a mirror relationship to him. Okay, marriage is the firmest foundation for building generational families, okay? We just believe, we believe that marriage is the institution that God created to further godly heritage on the planet, on planet Earth. Now, that doesn't disagree with adoptive, foster, and all the other amalgams of family and how people are loved and all those things. We just don't need to get rid of marriage in order to affirm that marriage is first. Amen? Amen. Okay, marriage is first. All right. God designed sexual expression to help married couples. Um, You know, you have children and you have pleasure. And and so let's remember, though, sexuality in our culture is over-exaggerated, isn't it? You guys are like, yes, just say, yeah, it is. You guys are like, he said sexuality, it's a secret. No, sexuality is, it's, we're over-sexualized in our culture. And pleasure, there is pleasure that comes with sexuality. Amen? Okay, you guys, and you guys, so you guys are quiet when you need to be loud and loud when you need to be quiet. There's pleasure in sexuality, amen, yeah, woo, woo, woo. It's God's good. But let's remember, okay, Let's remember that God had purpose first and purpose is procreation. That's why marriage is so important is because, and I say marriage and I think of, you know, princess bride, marriage. I'm sorry, I just automatically do. Come on, all the men, don't leave me up here by myself. All right, don't don't leave me. Last one, marriage mirrors God's covenant relationship with us, covenant. The the Hebrew word is berith, and berith means to cut. It means to cut. So in the Old Testament, if I was cutting a covenant with you, wherever you are, South Shore, Plant City, if you're at home, we would take an animal, we would split it in half. I know it's pretty graphic. The animal would bleed and die, and we would set the halves on each side. Okay, graphic stuff. Glad we don't do this anymore, and uh, we've kind of updated our sacrificial system. Thank you, Jesus. We love you. Okay. So you'd split the animal, you'd set the two halves on the side. And when we're cutting a covenant, then we would say, we have agreed on what we will do and what we will not do. And then you and me will walk through the pieces of these animals that have been cut, they in a covenant, not a contract, in a covenant that says, if I don't keep my agreement and you don't keep your agreement, may we become like these animals. Cut us under in two pieces. So the seriousness of covenant is just, is outlined in the word berith, And here's what God is saying to us. If you want to look, look this up, go to Genesis chapter 12. It's one through three. And Abraham received a covenant from God. It's called the Abrahamic covenant. All right. From a theological perspective, the Abrahamic covenant really is God saying to Abraham, I want you to cut the animals. Abraham cut three animals open. And then God put Abraham into a deep sleep where Abraham could see God, but God did not allow Abraham to walk through the pieces. God himself walked through the pieces and gave Abraham the covenant. So here's what it means. God is saying to you and saying to me, no matter how many times you break covenant with me, and no matter how many times you break covenant with one another, I can never break my covenant with you. Never, I'll never break my covenant with you the abrahamic covenant which is fulfilled in jesus is not dependent on humans getting it right hallelujah hallelujah church because we break covenant here's the reason why god cannot break covenant because he is unable to lie and he is unable to change his character and when we break covenants because we change our we we mitigate our character and we don't tell the truth and we break covenant and god says no matter how many times you break with me i'll never break with you so sometimes we hear this in our culture, and, and um, I want to give a little forgiveness and grace because people say things that sometimes they don't even mean when they're hurting or difficult circumstances or situations, but we, Dr. David Hubbard has commented on this statement that's happening in our culture. See, The marriage covenant that we sign, the marriage license, is nothing but a scrap of paper, and maybe you've heard that before. But this kind of over exaggerated statement is a symptom of the spirit, I believe, of our age, where marriage is kind of disqualified and set aside. And but here's what I want to say: scraps of paper are important to humanity, aren't they? Come on, aren't they? A $20 bill is a scrap of paper. Yeah, and, and that's pretty important. You mean a hundred-dollar bill is a scrap of paper. You know what I mean? So your mortgage is a scrap of paper. Right? Your marriage covenant is a is a scrap of paper. It's important. And uh, even the Constitution of the United States is a scrap of paper, but we believe in the Constitution of the United States. <laughs> we believe in paper. So, but it's not the paper, it's the intent with which humans sign a covenant on paper that matters. And so uh, here's a little, to, uh, a little levity, okay? A married couple had a quarrel and ended with uh, giving each other the silent treatment. Two days into their mute argument, the man realized he needed his wife's help. In order to catch a flight to Chicago for a business meeting, he had to get up at 5 a.m. Not wanting to be the first to break the silence, he wrote on a piece of paper, please wake me up at 5 a.m. The next morning, the man woke up only to discover his wife had already been out of bed. It was nine o'clock. The flight had long since departed. He was about to find his wife and demand an answer for her failings when he noticed a piece of paper by the bed. He read... As it stated, it's 5 a.m. Time to get up. Hmm. I think that's prophetic. (laughs) If if marriage isn't sacred, we can get in a lot of trouble, right? We can get sideways pretty quickly. Really happens quick. So (laughs) love and marriage is is sacred. Beth, you guys are tickling me. (laughs) All right. It also requires intimacy, 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 into me you see, it requires intimacy. So sex within marriage is a gift and it's a blessing and it's, it's wonderful, um, but we also need vulnerability, uh, not the least of which, the many things that we need is vulnerability. And that's just not telling the truth. It really is from the core of who you are, expressing to another person, kind of in your nakedness, if you will. Remember in Genesis two, Adam and Eve, this is, this is before the fall, before the fall, all right? Adam and Eve were naked and they were, un- everybody say unashamed. unashamed. So here's what's happening in our culture. We're going through body dysphoria, emotional dysphoria, gender dysphoria, we're going through all these things and it's making us insecure. But I want you to know in a marriage relationship, what God wants to do is he wants those bonds of insecurity to go away and he wants us to be okay, physically naked, emotionally naked and spiritually naked. That's what God is asking for humanity to come into in the relational bond of marriage where we love one another, we love each other with a love that moves fear aside. Perfect love casts out fear Fear and shame should be minimizing in a marriage relationship. Can I get an amen? Amen, Amen. all right? So some things that you can do to uh, build intimacy in your marriage. Just a couple, I'll I'll move through them. Intimate conversation. So when we have conversation, I think we're pretty good at saying, how was your day? But inside of how was your day, we need to ask, we need to be listening to one another and we need to say, and I don't like saying this, well, how did that make you feel? It sounds like a counselor, right? How did that make you? How did that make you feel? So what we've come up with in our marriage is, what was that like for you? So somebody's going through their day, and how many of you know when you go through your day, you're gonna say some things that weren't the greatest? Just us? (laughs) You guys, there's always something that's not that great in the day, always. So when you get to that point, it's just, it's relational, and it builds intimacy for you to say, how did that make you feel? Either that's kind of counseling perspective or what was that like for you? And you can start using those terminology, that terminology with each other and it's helpful. It's just helpful, all right? Intimate empathy. Intimate empathy. When somebody is going through st- something that hurts, it's really helpful to identify. You don't have to fix it. Come on, somebody. You don't have to fix it. You just say, wow, man, that must've really hurt. Just that statement of just the pause to just say, Golly, that must have that. I'm sure that didn't really didn't feel good, did it? And so you will see somebody's eyes change. You'll see their face change, because every human wants somebody to be with them wherever they're at. Everybody does. Okay, intimate emotions. Weep with those who weep. The Bible says, and then intimate physically, obviously. Okay, and the Bible says that we're to not withhold from one another. Okay, that means to give yourself fully to one another and everything is acceptable in the marriage bed. Can I get an amen? Okay, now let me qualify. Okay, let me qualify. Everything is acceptable except those things are demanding or demeaning. In other words, don't, the Bible says don't defile your marriage bed. So everything is acceptable except, say except. Except those things which defile your partner don't defile one another, the Bible says. So, so does that mean, you know, worldly things and other things and things that we came from? And things like, everything is acceptable except for those things that are demeaning, demeaning. It diminishes you or her. It, it's demeaning or it's demanding. Those things are off, off limits. Everybody good? Yeah. Okay. I don't need to spend any more time on that stuff. You guys are losing. You, you guys aren't breathing right now. You're like... Husbands are told specifically to love their wives as Christ loved the church. That's Ephesians 5.25. Wives are told specifically to respect their husbands as the church respects Christ. That's Ephesians 5.33. I'll comment on that a little bit later. There's a book I want to give you. I want to recommend it to you. Love and Respect. Love and Respect. Emerson Egretz. Yeah. How many of you read Love and Respect? Some of you read it. Yeah, it's a really, really good book. Really, really good book. Here's the summary of the book in a couple of sentences wives are made to love, want to love and expect love. Husbands are made to be respected, want respect and expect respect. Number two, when a husband feels disrespected, it is especially hard to love his wife. When a wife feels unloved, it is especially hard to respect her husband. Can you see how this can turn into a dance? No respect, no love, no respect, no love. And you end up in this sort of circumstance where you're, you're spiraling, you're dancing, you're not, you're not connecting. No respect, no love, no respect, no love. And it, it doesn't go where we want it to go. Number three, often we focus on our own needs instead of simply, we just overlook the other person's needs. We just focus on us. And so the book is really good. That's a summary of the book, okay? I wanna comment briefly on um, living together as opposed to being married. All right, I know that no one in our congregation is in that circumstance right now, okay? <laughs> I know I know that, all right? We we know we know where everybody is. We know that this is a difficult circumstance. We know that you can save money by, you know, being together in a home or an apartment or whatever it so is. We understand all that. Here's the reason why the church says and why we say as a church, there's a better way and the better way is to be married and to live together. Here's a better way, okay? Now, the reason why is because When you love, when God let's start like this. Let me be very, very clear. God loves us, right? He proves it to us by his word and his deed. So when we love one another, we're supposed to mirror that relationship with God. So we love one another, we're to prove it by our word. That's what we do at the altar. And I believe that when you love each other, you'd say, I love you and I love you and you mean it. You're living together before you're married and you're consummating. So if you're living together, you're probably being physical. I'm going to pause. Right? I mean, you guys, right? I mean, if you're not, then I would say, okay, but we, okay. And I do believe that there are, there are couples that really, they love God. They're trying to make it work. And they really are. They're in separate bedrooms and like all that kind of stuff. But here's what I want to say that only lasts for a certain amount of period because you're in so much proximity with one another that there are no boundaries. And so what happens with that is that you're consummating something without covenant. And when, you cons- when you're in consummation without covenant, it's hard for God to bless that. Are you with me, you guys? Okay, there's no shame, no condemnation, that's all. That's the reason why. That's the reason why we say it's just better. It's better not to do that. It's better to be in covenant relationship where it's word, you say together, I commit to you for a lifetime, and then it's by deed and consummation and then lifelong connection together, okay? I won't stay on that any longer. You're not breathing again, okay? <laughs> just uh, married, married adults have a higher level of relationship satisfaction than when you're just living together together. Um, Married adults are more likely than those who are living with a partner to say that things are going very well in their relationship, 60 to 40 married as opposed to living together. Higher levels of satisfaction with specific aspects of their relationship. And here's a list of them. Uh, The way household chores are handled, Um, how a partner balances the work and personal life. How important is work and personal life? Super important stuff. How that's balanced, Uh, whether a partner communicates well, and their approach to parenting. And this is where it gets a little more real. Married adults are more likely than those who are living together to say they have a great deal of trust in their spouse or their partner to being faithful. Come on, say faithful. That's the big deal. This is the big deal. All right. Being faithful to one another, acting in their best interest, telling them the truth and handling money responsibly. Those those things kinda get bigger. Those things are harder to tackle. And I'll end by saying this. Every study out there, go and look at this, says that sexuality is best. It's best. Everybody say best. Yes. It's best in a married relationship between two people who are committed for a lifetime. Can I get an amen to that? Come on, with we'll say thank God for that. Out of all the kinds <laughs> out of all the kinds of sexuality that's out there, that's the best kind. That that, that that's the best kind. A Syracuse University study says that sex is not the most important part of a love relationship. The survey asked married couples to rank the 10 most important things in a marriage relationship. Number one was caring. Number two was a sense of humor. Number three was communication. Sex ranked number nine, right next to number 10, household chores. (laughs) That is surprising to me. I mean, you know what I mean? This, this comes from New York. I think they think a little differently than we do in the South, but right. If you're from New York, so listen, if you're from New York, Chicago, California, welcome to Tampa. We love you. Uh, We know you're all here. I mean, you know what I mean? Everybody is coming to Florida. All right. Here's my point. Here's my point. It's not even in the top three, but in our culture, sexualization has become almost number one which is why we end up getting into relationships with one another and missing the covenant portion in the relationship, why that's so important with God. Amen? Amen. Okay, okay, 1 Peter 4, eight. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sin. Love covers, love protects, it covers a multitude of sin. I think one of the greatest things that we can do for one another is to learn to be tender with one another's weaknesses. Tender with weakness. It's not just for men it's for women as well, because what we're taught in culture is that weakness is unacceptable. Aren't we? Come on, everybody. Weakness is unacceptable. Losing is unacceptable. Weakness is unacceptable, but that's not the way of Jesus. Jesus comes to us in our greatest weakness. And that's when his strength is most attractive. When, when we are at our weakest moment is when we need the love and mercy and grace of Jesus. Jesus doesn't mean that we won't face circumstances. We always do. Choices equal circumstance and circumstance can equal consequence, right? God never takes that away, but he's always gracious to meet us at our weakest place. And if we really want to build intimacy in our marriages, we can learn to be tender. We can learn to be soft, Jesus-like when our partner or when your friend or your mom or your coworker, wherever they're weak. That was a point of emphasis. There you go wherever there's weakness, then you can find the meekness, which is the strength of the Lord. Okay. That's what God is asking. That's what love covers a multitude of sin. Number three, it's sacred. It requires intimacy. It's commitment as well. It's commitment. So we need to be committed to compatibility and fidelity and how to handle resources. Those are the top three. I'll talk about that in a second. Okay. So there's a couple of reasons why people are more or less likely to get a divorce. And here they are, and this is just a couple. There's, there's many, but here's a couple. Age, if you get married before you're 25, you're more likely to get a divorce than to get married after age 25. If you have a strong religious belief, you're 14% less likely, strong religious belief, you have an affiliation to Jesus, strong religious belief, 14% less likely to get a divorce. All right. Education is another factor. The higher your education, the less likely you are to get a divorce. So the moral of the story is fall in love with Jesus. Everybody okay with that one? Fall in love with Jesus. Focus on your education and get married later in life. God bless you. I love you. You know, you just heard from your father. That doesn't mean if you got married younger in life or if your education's whatever, it doesn't mean that you're doomed to some, it's just what the stats are. It's just the stats. Here are the top three reasons for divorce. The U.S. Census Bureau, number one is incompatibility, incompatibility. Number two, infidelity. Number three is income or money, how you handle resources. And you can see the percentages there. How many of you remember doing things? So, so when I looked up incompatibility, there's probably 15 or 20 things that are listed there. And so intelligence, matching personalities, common interest, education, kind of goals in life, raising your kids, religious affiliation. Those are super important things. And, but most of the list church were things like similar interests. And so here's what I believe about that list of incompatibilities, because I recognize that there are a lot of people would say, we're incompatible. That's why we don't love each other anymore. Here's what I want to say. The Holy Spirit makes you compatible. Amen. In other words, you might have incompatibilities, but what we need is wisdom in the presence of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Early on in our relationship, I, I love the fish and early on in relationships, you do things, you and your spouse did things that you never would do after you're married. Can I get an amen? You just, you did stuff, it just wasn't your character, it didn't fit, you didn't like to do it, but you went along for the ride. Why? Because you're not married yet. Once you get married, you get a job and you get house and cars and kids and bills and all that kind of stuff. And then you're just like, I just don't wanna do that anymore. But we need the grace of the Holy Spirit to find compatibility so that we find likeness in the things that we do. Early on, I took my wife, I thought it was a great idea to take my wife fishing. And, and not just fishing, I would take her deep into the woods. They're called mangroves, back to the mangroves, and there are these little things back there that are worse than mosquitoes. They're called noceums. If you don't know what a nocium is, welcome to Tampa. Uh, they're little like pepper, they look like pepper, and they bite like a cougar. And, 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 you know, and so I took her, we we're in South Florida and I took her way back in there to fish and we were way back in the mangroves. And, and I was like, oh, I'm going to protect you. And I put her in a rain suit, a yellow rain suit. So I had the rain suit buttoned here and here and, you know, here, and this, this much of her face was open. And, um, but I want to tell you any place that's open, they can get into. And so she was being bitten. I'm catching snook and I'm like, isn't this great, Honey. And I just want to tell you, it's not great. (laughs) It wasn't great for her. But at the time she was like, oh, I love this. (laughs) She hated it. She hated it. So here's what we need. Wisdom. I would never do that to her. I would never. uh, Understanding what I know, knowing what I know now, I would never do that to her. And so compatibility is more about your understanding what God is asking of you so that you can humble yourself so you can get with them. That's really what God wants to do. And so now we just, we avoid stuff I don't like to do. You know what I mean? I don't like to go to like, hello, Dolly, okay? I, I went to theater early on. I was like, I'll go to theater with you, baby, whatever. And I sat there the whole time like, I really would like to be fishing right now. But let me tell you, let me tell you something. She would fish with me if, if we found agreeable space. And I would go to Hello Dolly with her if we found agreeable space, amen? amen. It's, it's about the grace of the Holy Spirit and a little bit of wisdom together. I wanna to read to you. This is a classic passage, just classic. I want you to hear it. This may be with new ears today. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It's not proud. It's not rude. It's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. Boy, that's a big one. It keeps no record of wrong. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, it always trusts, it always hopes, it always perseveres. It always perseveres. Henry Ford commented on having a long, a lifelong marriage. When Mr. and Mrs. Henry Ford celebrated their golden wedding anniversary, that's 50th, a reporter asked him, to what do you attribute your 50 years of successful married life? The formula, Mr. Ford said, is the same formula I used in making cars just stick to one model. <laughs> Amen. 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 Marriage is sacred. It requires intimacy, a long, lifelong commitment and the goal is oneness. Everybody say oneness. oneness. Uh, you know, in Genesis 2:23, Adam said, "She's now bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh," and they left mother and father to cleave all right, the principle, they didn't, you know, the Lord made them, but our principle is to leave mother and father and to cleave to one another, become one. And so there's this ideology, this notion in a culture that romance and feelings are what love are. But here's what we want to say. Come on, we know that it's different than that. Love is commitment for a lifetime, right, church? Love, love is, is sacrificial. It's committing to one another for a lifetime. Mark 10, nine, therefore what God has joined together, let no one separate. In Ephesians 5, 25 through 33, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water of the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. Okay, I'll explain this in a second. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourished and cherished it just as Christ does the church. Okay. This is another picture. Marriage is a reflection of what God wants to do. He is existing in heaven in the Trinity. He wants us to exist here on earth together as a picture of that relational equity that he has, father, son, and the Holy Spirit. It's relationship that matters. This scripture is the one that goes on to talk about wives. Maybe you've not heard this before. Maybe you have. Wives, submit to your husbands as unto the Lord. Okay, hold on before you throw tomatoes at me, okay? Here's what it means. The church is the female in the relationship with Jesus. He is the one who's the leader. Come on, church, right? And it's easy. The church is supposed to submit to Jesus as the head and the leader. Do we understand? Okay, the reason why the church can submit to Jesus is because he's kind, loving, compassionate, and always loving and kind and compassionate to the bride. That's why. So this thing about wives submit to your husbands isn't so much about women submitting to men. It's more about men being like Jesus so that submission is able to happen. I'll I'll just summarize this and then I'll leave it alone. When men act like Jesus acts to the church and it's easy for the church to submit, it should just be easy. There's no headship in the church is always under headship in heaven. Let me say that again. Headship in the church is always under headship in heaven. So wherever you see a shepherd, a shepherd is just an under shepherd to the great shepherd. So in, rel- in marital relationships, submission to a husband should be something that is very easy and norm- normal and commonplace, why? Because a husband is a covering who is a loving, gracious, always fighting for, always present, never for himself person. And if that happens, submission is super easy and then we understand the paradigm which is like a mystery that exists here on earth. Here are a couple of strategies to move toward each other in oneness. Okay, and I'm going to move through them quickly, quickly, quickly. Focus on your uh, your spouse's strengths rather than their weaknesses. You, you might, if if you're a note taker, you, you can scratch these down quickly. Encourage rather than criticize. Pray for your spouse instead of tearing them down. Say you're sorry. <laughs> I'm just okay. I'm leaving now. God bless you say you're sorry. Don't curse at one another. Cursing at one another, I don't know why it's making me emotional, man. Just cursing at one another demeans each other to the place where you curse and tear and hurt each other. Listen, if you need to curse and tear, take a time out. Go curse and tear with God. He can handle it. And then come back to your spouse with no cursing and tearing. And come back to your friend, come back to your mom, come back to your, your brother, come back to your coworker. Don't, don't curse and tear one another. That's the work of the enemy, amen? It really is the work of the enemy. It, and it, it really, emotionally, it does something to you to separate you that it's hard to recover from. Don't use the D word, right? You guys know, you know what I mean, right? Okay, don't use the D word. When your spouse is in trouble, ask, how can I join you? What is, what is something I can do right now? How can I join you? If you're upset, how can I join you? Clarity is kindness. Don't expect one another to be clairvoyant. I'm gonna just tell you from a man's perspective, I don't know what you mean. No, I'm serious. You can be married 20 years, 30 years, 40 years. Be clear with one another with what your expectation is and what you need. Be clear, because clarity is kindness. And so we get into this thing sometimes where we say, we've been married all these years, don't you know? And my answer is no, I don't know, (laughs) right? I don't, I don't know. Clarity, using your words to clarify what you mean, what you need is very, very helpful, it's kind. And then last one is just learn, learn what biblical love really is. It's just loving another human being, putting yourself kind of in the background, putting someone else in the foreground, and, and loving. We have a ministry here called re-engage, re-engage, and re-engage is our marriage ministry. If you're having trouble at a one, where you're just barely having a little difficulty, or you're having really kind of nuclear trouble, it looks like things are not going well, potential separate, all those things, Reengage engage is the place for you. Reengage is the, is the ministry, the help ministry for marriage in our church. And then I want to, I want to finish this section by doing something that they did at the XO conference. I didn't know they were doing. It. I felt like God asked to do it in our weekend services. And so anybody, I, w- I want to say it like this. Uh, how many of you are married? Across everything that we're looking at, how many of you are married? Okay. Now, you can put your hands down. How many of you um, have had some degree of difficulty in your marriage? Which, you know what I mean? How many of you are human? We all raise our hands. You know what I mean? How many of you, you know, how many of you are breathing? If, so, right? You know what I mean? We, we, it's, here's what I want to do. I'd like for there's some people, and I don't want you to identify yourselves, They're going through tough stuff, going through difficult seasons, going through difficult time. And so what I'd like for us to do is I'd like for us to just clap for a minute. I'll tell you in a second, I just want to clap. And for those of you who are struggling, the Bible says that there's a great cloud of witnesses that are in heaven that cheer us on. And what we wanna do in our clapping is we wanna say that not only can you make it through the difficult time, we're praying that you can and you will, but that both of you can learn new and different things and that both of you can grow and that both of you can not only just suffer through your marriage, but you can be encouraged. And we believe that you can enjoy your marriage and spend the rest of your life together. Can we, can we clap for those who are struggling? Amen. Come on, let's just keep it up for a second, okay? Come on, we, we amen. Amen. It's worth it. Don't quit. Amen. Amen. Amen, church. It's worth it. We, we, we bind whatever would say it's not worth it because it is. It really, it is, it is worth it and, it and it matters. It matters. God, God, is, God is gracious. He'll, he'll see you through uh, difficult times. I want to, again, a little levity in this story and, and we'll close. At a Sunday school where teaching how God created everything included human beings, little Johnny, I love the stories about Johnny, uh, a child in kindergarten class seemed especially intent when they told him how Eve was created out of one of Adam's ribs. Later in the week, his mother noticed him lying down as though he were ill and said, Johnny, what's the matter? And Johnny said, I don't feel well. I think I'm having a wife. That's- In 2005, the Guinness Book of World Records said that (laughs) Percy and Florence Aerosmith held two records, The longest marriage of a living couple, 80 years at the time, 2005, and and having the largest married couple's aggregate age, uh, 205, they are 205 in their combined age. Both Mr. and Mrs. Aerosmith have since died, unfortunately, but they left good advice for those who wanna have a lasting marriage. Florence said, you must never go to bed, bad friends. If you have a quarrel, make it up. Never be afraid to say, I'm sorry. The Bible says not to let the sun go down on your anger. And that we're just to make it up, make it up before we get to bed and things kind of accumulate. Let me just say this last statement and then we'll pray. If you talk to one another and you'd say, let's say that your marriage is a 10, it's the best it's ever been. This is just the best it's ever been, okay? 10, you guys are, everything is amazing. You love it. and And one is you're about to separate. Things are really, really difficult. If you rank together and you would say, we're, we're getting down there, we're, we're hitting a five. Things are not a 10 anymore, they're not an eight anymore, they're not a seven anymore, they're not even a six. We're, we're in that five range. The best thing to do is to do something while you can still do something. Can I get an amen, church? And, and to engage, to have the initiative to say, we're gonna, do, we're, just, we're gonna do something different, we're gonna have to. And the people that make it, the people that make it sound something like this. They say, I'll do whatever it takes and I'll do whatever it takes right now. I'll change my job, I'll change my behavior, I'll go to counseling, I'll go to re-engage, I'll read a book, I'll do it and I'll do it right now. And I'll do it next month and the month after, that means I'll do it repetitively and I'll do it as long as it takes. And people, people who have that kind, of, that kind of wherewithal when you get to about the five range are really the ones that make it. And if you don't, I, I just want to leave you with this. Listen, how do we say this? The time to do something is why you still can. Okay. Would you bow your heads? Would you close your eyes with me? Let's, let's pray. Every voice say, Lord Jesus, I surrender. I give you my life. I know I've sinned, but listen, church, Jesus was on the cross. He sacrificed his life. He bled, he died, but he didn't stay in the grave. He was resurrected. And he comes to rescue you and me to put us into relationship, right relationship. And so today, as we finish the prayer, it's your admonition, your act of faith by just saying, Jesus, help me. I'm asking you to save me. And so that's the way we're gonna finish, just to say, Lord Jesus, come be a part of my life. We hope you enjoyed that message from our lead pastor, Greg Dumas. Don't forget you can subscribe to our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash crossing church. There you can watch all of our messages on demand and our live broadcast. We can't wait to worship with you this weekend. For times and locations, visit wearecrossing.com.